Brother Pat said we're in Hebrews chapter 5 again today and we've been here for quite some time in the book of Hebrews and in the past few weeks we have been looking at the, the priesthood as it is described in the first four verses and then the culmination uh, being that which we see today as it speaks of Christ the only begotten son whom we will soon see the greatest highest priest and for for us to understand that there's a a lot of things a lot of biblical things that we should understand and particular viewpoints that we should take and uh, just before we go in prayer i would say that if you missed the the sunday school again this morning uh, pat touched on something that is uh, greatly needed to begin to comprehend the priesthood that is Christ. And one of those things that uh, Pat mentioned today is the Trinity. And for some, it is an often easily overlooked uh, theological topic that really defines how we look at Christ and how we look at God. And I say that it's important, as you will see this morning, because when we consider Christ and his priesthood, uh, we must understand the relationship between man and God that only he represents. And it is a crucial part of our understanding, I believe. And you will see that this morning as we begin to study the word. So before we begin, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, for the sake of Jesus, uh, Lord, in his kingdom, we come before you this morning, God, just thanking you uh, for the precious blood that was shed upon Calvary's cross that would atone for the sins of wretched man like myself or like uh, this particular body who assembles here today. God, we come to you as uh, humble servants of the risen Christ or those thankful and joyful uh, in the resurrection and in the one who has defeated death already, who has uh, swallowed it up, Lord, and for us given the victory over it god we thank you and uh, we remain in all of what you have done and what christ has done lord we just aim this morning to please you through the preaching and the proclamation of your word lord through the worship and song and in fellowship lord in all that we do and we just pray this morning that you would uh, make the word of your son effectual unto us that we uh, by it as meat would be nourished. Lord, as babes in Christ who may be here like milk be as well nourished. Lord, that we would be strengthened in our weakness. Uh, that we would find ourselves true believers. Those who are part of your household. Brethren to the resurrected and ascended Christ. Lord, we pray that you would mold us to look more like him. God, that you would use the word this morning through the worship or to change our hearts or to conform us to his image or that we would uh, surely be slaves to righteousness and not just any slaves Lord, but thankful uh, for what you have done for us or we just pray for those who can't be with us this morning that you would minister to them Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that he would so testify the truths of Christ that uh, we would not be able to remain unchanged. 
God, and we just pray for your uh, spiritual blessings upon this assembly today and, and for your church, uh, universal God, that today you would be lifted up, Lord, as in every day you should be. Lord, that you would be worshipped and that Christ would be exalted. It's for uh, the sake of his kingdom and in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So, begin with reading these first five verses again. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the sin of the people, also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. An interesting use of words to describe Christ and his priesthood. And just to recap what we have seen, uh, we began, I think it was last year, it may have been the year before. We began in Hebrews chapter 1, and we see uh, the ultimate revelation of Christ by God the Father as he is describing Christ. He's describing the way in which he has spoken to mankind. It says in many portions, many ways by the prophets, uh, through visions and dreams and so on, we have seen men. And then we have a, a, a disconnect from that because there is the ultimate fulfillment of one who is prophet, priest, and king, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says in chapter 1 there in Hebrews that no other way will he speak to man except through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And that's a, a very interesting statement because what we're talking about today as we have moved from uh, chapter 4 into chapter 5 in those first four, first, four, four, uh, first four verses, excuse me, uh, what we are talking about is an appointment unto man that is for this position of priest. And it is interesting as it says that in chapter 1 because after that it goes on to describe Christ and it says he is the one who made all things, made everything and the world and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. I will say that and I want to repeat this again later that, that we understand this. It is pictured in chapter 1 and it is unveiled in chapter 5. Uh, the substantiation of Christ as one who is duly, duly glorified as God and as man. And we will see that in the appointment of Christ as a man to the priesthood, but the existence of the priesthood in Christ as eternal God who has never been without glory, who will always be. And that is a glory that is not gained or given, but that is a glory that is inherent, naturally, always existing with the persons of God. And that is very important. 
important. And that's why I said as we consider the Trinity, the priesthood will in it uh, be confined and we will see really what that entails as we understand a triune God. Now, that's not to say that we will ever exhaust the understanding of the priesthood, but it gives us a glimpse into the priesthood that is Christ after this order of Melchizedek because it is describing one who is fit for this position because of his nature as God. And then he is appointed as man to such a high place. After we uh, see this in chapter 1, first revealed... Though not completely, then we see the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, as described as one who should be exalted above angels, one who is exalted above angels, one who is far superior than any created being. That is the message, uh, and that is the point that Christ is eternal, that He, though has taken on flesh, is eternal God in the flesh. He is better than everyone. He is supreme. He is in control. That's why it it talks about the radiance, the the representation of his nature, and the fact that he sits on the throne and that he rules and reigns as one who is in this position. No one else could fill it. And then we get to chapter 2 and we're staunchly reminded so harshly about keeping to this confession. Pay close attention to what you have heard because that will change everything. Now we consider the context in Hebrews chapter 2. This is a people who have uh, traditionally followed a religious system. They had this particular way of doing things. And let me just be clear, we can fall into the same trap. We can fall into a trap of a religious system or doing things a a certain way or the way that they've always been done without any merit biblically, without anything to substantiate why we do these things. And so we also must pay much closer attention. We must listen to the Christ, the voice of God as he is speaking through him as it is described in chapter one, so that we do not err along our own path but that we follow his talks about uh, as well in chapter two about neglecting what we have heard and without it, that there is no salvation. And then we see uh, Christ in verse five being made lower than the angels taken on uh, for himself, though being God, the form of man And then what he does in that, bringing many sons to glory. Then we see in chapter 3 his faithfulness. His faithfulness toward God and ultimately uh, for his creation, that bride whom he will ransom. And then we got to chapter 4, the promise of rest. We saw the wonderful pictures of rest and that being not simply a Sabbath once weekly rest but the rest that is eternal, the rest that the believer enters into uh, at the consummation, the, the rest that the believer enters into when the death of the mortal body occurs, when he is united with his Savior, an eternal rest, a rest that provides everything in it that we need. And that's what rest is in any, any temporal sense. It's a time to relax, a time to rebuild, a time to restrengthen. And that is what Christ does in this eternal rest. He, uh, as I said, the rest is not really the focus of chapter 4, but it's the promiser of the rest. 
that we see that because there is no rest if we don't understand who the promise is in and who fulfills the promise and who guarantees the promise. Like with anything, an earthly sense, a promise is only as good as the promiser. It's only uh, as valuable as the word from whom it comes. And that is true as this is the word of God. And then we see the compassion that the high priest must have in conclusion of chapter four. And then we arrive to where we are this morning. And we saw over the past few weeks that the priest is taken from men. He's appointed. Uh, and we hear it, I think, backwards oftentimes uh, on behalf of men and things pertaining to God and on behalf of God and things pertaining to men. There is none uh, as high priest before Christ who could ever do that, who could ever represent uh man to God because he does not understand God but yet he does understand man and that is why it says that he's uh, appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God but then we have something unique with Christ we have one who understands man and who identifies with man because he has taken upon himself this uh, flesh and we have to be careful not to say sinful flesh as we often want to and we talked about a couple weeks ago that if we were to ask Someone to describe with one word humanity a lot of times we we tend to because of the biblical view that we have of ourselves We want to describe sinfulness and the the truth is that that does not describe all humanity Because sinfulness is not found in the Lord Jesus Christ But yet there is weakness there is frailty there is hunger there is thirst and things of which we know that Christ himself and the flesh dealt with Never sin. He never sinned. Then we see the duty and the responsibility of one to give. It says both gifts and sacrifices. And we have a tendency to want to separate those things. But the truth is that what Christ gave was both sacrifice and a gift it was sacrifice on behalf of man and it was gift unto man from the God man. It says that he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided and see himself as beset with weakness. And because of it, describing a merely human priest, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for sin as for the people and for himself. Because everyone uh, to fall into this position, to be called into it. Uh, before Christ would have been a sinful man. And at Christ, there is no longer a need for the sacrifice of the priest for himself. That is why we can rest here with the crucifixion and burial and resurrection and ascension of our Savior Jesus Christ because he does not sin. His sacrifice is sufficient. It's one sacrifice for all who would believe and one sacrifice for every sin, past, present, and future. And then we saw in the previous week that it says no one takes the honor to himself. He cannot grasp it for himself or take hold of it or assert himself into this position, nor can he qualify himself, but it says he must be called of God. Here is something that applies to every priest must be called by God. And certainly we see 
as Christ in his earthly ministry uh, many times states, my hour has not yet come. I do not know and things of this matter that would relate to his humanity, but would also give us glimpses into his servitude towards the Father. That he was coming not for himself, but to save lost sheep. Why? Because that is what the Father had given him to do. He had given him these who were called out, and he would save these who were called out because that was his duty. It was pleasing to God. Describes this priesthood akin to what we see with Aaron, that he too was not perfect, nor did he bid or politic for this particular position, but he was chosen by God. And then we arrive here this morning, verse 5 So also Christ did not glorify himself. Christ also. What does this mean? So also Christ did not. Well, if we would like to look at the priesthood with a, uh, the particular perspective uh, from the human mind, we must understand that no true priest would have ever, according to this particular verse, glorified himself. Nor would he ever take for himself glory or the power or assert or usurp any authority over anyone because of who he was, but rather who God called him to be. And when we look at that, it, it really puts a damper on a lot of, uh, a lot of quote-unquote priests because they cannot identify with this statement in fact it would reveal uh, the ungodly who would try to serve in such a position because if one does aim to glorify himself or uh, exalt himself to this particular position then he indeed is no real true priest at all but here what we find is a parallel a similarity uh, from what we have seen in the previous four verses as it was describing mere man as he would serve in this position. Why is he serving here? Well, it wasn't that man was the first priest uh, in that respect, but Christ has always defined the priesthood. He allowed man to be given to this place to see his incompatibility with righteousness, to see his fallen nature, and to see how only the God-man Jesus Christ, only the perfect one could fulfill the position. And so we see how Christ is different in the first four, first four verses again. I almost did it again. The first four verses. He is not, although he is man, he is not sinful. He is not sacrificing for himself. And there is the distinction, but now the parallel, the similarity shown uh, in the position of high priest as it is fulfilled by Christ, because it is not a position where one is glorifying himself or, or entering into it to do so. We know why, because I mentioned it this morning. First of all, Christ in his uh, deity, in his existence as God, 
he is glorified and he shall be and he will be glorified and it is not given to him in the respect that he doesn't have it and we need to offer it to him but it is given to him in the sense that it is ascribed to him because it belongs to him but then as we take the second look into the nature of christ as man we begin to see this parallelism as it is fulfilled this office of priest and now glory must be gained if you will glory must be given to because of the position because of what he is serving and who he is serving and and that is not to say that he is serving man, though he did, but we're talking ultimately as he is serving the great high God. There is, uh, through this uh, similarity drawn for us, uh, a picture, an illustration, if you will, to show us that no person before has been qualified for the priesthood. No person has naturally or inherently qualified to serve God in this capacity or to represent to man this God, this great God of the Bible. But what we will soon see because of it is because of Christ's nature, his uh, existence as God, that alone qualifies him. God doesn't have to make Christ righteous. God doesn't have to make him faithful, but we see he has proven his faithfulness. And when we see that, he has proven what qualities have already existed with him because he is eternal God in the flesh. And so we'll see that there was never a person qualified. There's never anyone who is earned their way there is never one who has deserved it whether it be by blood uh, by merit by offering but we begin to see this Christ who will serve and he doesn't take the office by storm he doesn't uh, beat someone else out for it because the truth is there is no contender for this office when it comes to Christ in fact any real priest i would have to say bible doesn't say it but i i believe you'd have a hard time arguing with me that a, a real priest would never say i deserve to be here i need to be here I, I should be here above anyone else and that's exactly why christ should serve there that is exactly why because he can say i am fit for this position he has the authority, has the power. We see it described in chapter 1. He has the righteousness, the holiness, the knowledge of God that man must have in order for this sacrificial system to work, to know what appeases God, to know what abides over man's head, the wrath of God. Shall he not have a sacrifice? And so what is drawn for us is a picture of an office that was often uh, attempted and overtaken in the, in the temporal, asserted and grabbed for and stolen, if you will, bought, in other words, as we often say, someone buys an office or a vote. What others have attempted to do in seizing this place, Christ has done with minimal effort because he is Christ.
text says, so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who sent to him. As we consider that, he did not to become a high priest glorify himself. And that's what any man who would glorify himself would do. He would want to glorify himself. He would want to make himself look more righteous than he is, more holy than he is, so that he could serve in this position, so that uh, the image is is uh, enhanced, so to speak, so that people would say, you know what, maybe he's ready to serve, but Christ is not doing those things. Jesus is not coming to do that. But yet the picture is drawn for us because some will. We must be aware. We must be vigilant. We must make sure that we're not following another Christ or we're not hoping and placing our faith in another priest, another person, another uh, substance or an animal or whatever it be, uh, trusting in that for a sacrifice. But to the true high priest who himself is not only man but is also God and it says he didn't do these things to become high priest and that is what man would do. That is what one who with just a sinful nature would do. Try to make himself look better to serve. But it says, he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Here is his qualification. Here is it described for us. But it rests upon God himself and man has not understood this. And by and large, we still do not because many men are saying that they serve in the office of apostle or priest or what have you. And they have neither been called by God nor are they qualified to serve as such. But they are seeking by uh, grabbing this title to gain some glory, to gain some favor, to gain some merit, whether it be with people or God, that they're attempting to do this. But it says Christ is not doing these things. He is relying upon God. He is listening to the Father. He is waiting upon every word that proceeds from His mouth before He acts. And boy, what a what a uh, an illustration is that, an example is that for the Christian. To be waiting for God to call. To be listening for His voice. To be ready to serve wherever He places. Sad truth is that we don't. Said that the Father has spoken to the Son. This is the intimate conversation that we saw beginning in chapter 1. And He has called Him to this office. Why would he call him to the office? Let's just say his predecessors could not serve as he has served. There was no re-election for the priest prior, but there was a succession in Christ that began with Christ before he take, took upon himself flesh. He is the definition of the priesthood and he is the fulfillment of the priesthood. He is the final greatest, highest priest, and that is why he is serving there. He is qualified. For such reason did God call his only son. He's chosen him. He's called him out. He's separated him. 
anointed his head. He's anointed the oil of gladness. Above who? Above everyone. This must mean, if it is true, who else should we have to serve in this position? Who else would be better to offer for us this sacrifice, this eternal Lamb of God who is, uh, has the purest of blood, the purest of intention, purest of heart, the most holiness and righteousness that has ever existed in one man is with God in the person of Christ. He is separated for this, anointed for this. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, of the world. No one except for Christ could ever serve in this position. Many have tried, many for a season, but none forever. That is what we have pictured in the priesthood of Christ. Why is that important? Well, it's important because that is where our hope lies. He is our anchor. He is our strength. He is a fortress. Everything that we believe hinges upon Christ's existence as God and as man. And because of that, it tells us everything that we need to know, but not everything that we shall know about the priesthood. What God has done is so important because it has done away with the things of the world and the temporal sacrifices and the insufficient sacrifices and it has brought to life and to light the eternal sacrifice of the only Lamb of God, the only begotten, the only perfect man to ever live. This is His commission from the Father, if you will, to save those who will believe, who will trust. If you could turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 2, we'll see a description of the Christ before the incarnation. See a testimony unto his work. Unto his anointing. Getting verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? This is one is being described as those who would take for themselves the priesthood. This is describing many more things than that, but it is a certainly a description of what we deal with this morning. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger. And terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Consider that verse 7. The decree of the Lord. You are my son. You are my son. This is not to be understood as simply David. Cannot be traced through mere human lineage. This is speaking of the Christ. This is speaking of Jesus. Not the Jesus of the Mormons. Not the Jesus of many Catholics. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But this particular Jesus who is referenced again in chapter 1. For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And ask these rhetorical questions over several times. This is about the only unique monogenes, the unique one of God. Interesting that we should say it that way, one of God. There is one God and three persons and this is one of God, truly. A priest who is not uh, beset with the sinfulness of man, but with the weakness thereof, but also the strength of one who is God. And turn to Acts chapter 13. Beginning verse 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that he raised up Jesus as it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. What a wonderful reality as Christ is being spoken of both in the Psalms and in the Hebrews and then here in Acts chapter 13 it cannot confuse any other person who would serve any other person who would exist but it must be uh, speaking of Christ and consider what it says again that God has fulfilled this promise to our children that he raised up Jesus interesting the promise made to the fathers is none other than the son it wasn't a promise of a priest who would offer sacrifice for himself 
and for others, but the promise was an ultimate sacrifice, an ultimate salvation, a permanent condition wherein the state of man would be changed, that he would be brought from darkness to light, that his sin would be taken from him, that the wrath of God would be satisfied in the person of Christ. This was the promise and everything else was temporal, was foreshadowing, was pointing to Christ saying, this is what you need and this is what it will look like, but it must be forever. This sacrifice will be sufficient for a time. This will uh, in some manner appease God for a season, but there will come a lamb that God will provide like we saw last week with Abraham, a, a ram, if you will, in the bush. And it will be that which will spare the life and the life of your sons. Not just now, but forever. It will be that lamb that guarantees salvation, that guarantees inheritance, that guarantees a life with God. Spares us from the wrath of God. Places us into a position of heir. An heir, a brother, a son, a child, a bride. This is how we can describe what Christ has done being that son of God that is not merely of mortal flesh but the son that has eternally existed that has created all that has been created then we turn to the first chapter of John We see this Christ described and this is the reason for which we can uh, read the word and know the Christ, be saved by it. It says, verse 14, and the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And here's the interesting part. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, full of truth, John testified about him. Interesting as we consider the dual nature of Christ, that as he comes, the only begotten Son, we're considering the, the deity of Christ his eternal existence it says that we saw his glory and now we have that substantiated dual glory that belongs to Christ the inherent glory as one who is the son of God and then that which is to be ascribed to him as the man who serves as priest the glory that is not seized as verse 5 tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 a glory that he does not inherently have, but this is a glory that is given to him from the Father. One that we see his glory as he comes because we recognize him as the Messiah, but the other is the glory that is given to him by God because he is serving as high priest 
as a man. He should be glorified. He will be glorified. And he is glorified. This is the Christ in whom we believe. This is the one in whom we meet for today. Being the Son of God, Christ is revealing that there is no better appointment to this position. There is no one more well qualified. There is no one more pleasing in the sight of God than Him being the Son. And that's the truth, right? No one is more important to a father than the Son. To the world, one may look prettier and he may have more things, but no decent father would trade his son for any of those earthly things. No one would account someone else's son as greater than his own. No one takes more joy and pleasure than in his own, and this is true with God. What makes it so wonderful is that he can be pleased because Christ as man was sinless God and yet still remains to be sinless serving as apostle rabbi priest sacrificer sacrifice king and ultimately today as Lord, something that many professing Christians have forgotten. Christ is Lord. He goes beyond flesh to deity. He is a forever priest who is worthy of worship like no priest before him. To this we see even Thomas would offer worship. No one would dare worship a priest. But yet we are called to. But yet we are called to exalt the name of this priest, Jesus. And in it is a description of who he is because he must be man. But yet that he can receive glory, it means that he must likewise be God. What does that tell us? The truth that He is the only begotten. He is from the Father, yet eternally existing with the Father. He is now described as one who is not mere man, but one who is mediator, priest, king, apostle, Lord, all of the things that we see. Chapter 1, prophet. He is the only tie the only anchor that we have to heaven and so we must report to the world this morning out of good conscience every day the existence of Christ as forever priest as greatest as highest priest 
One not to be forgotten, one not to be succeeded by someone else, but one who is serving and who will always serve and who has already served everything and everyone who is to be served. No one has been saved apart from Christ. No one shall be saved apart from Christ. We are relying upon Him as the Son of God and as the priest to represent man and to represent God, and He has done so perfectly. If you have yet to see that this is the truth about the Savior Jesus Christ, then there may remain for you the need to be saved. If in fact you know this to be true of the Christ, there remains from you worship and glory to be ascribed to this man, to this God, Jesus Christ. Your purpose this morning must either be to enter into relationship with Christ and to be saved by Him or because this has already been so to worship Him to offer praise to offer adoration to be lifted up and to be renewed in the truth of His Word to be reminded of this so that you do not fall so that you do not fail so that we do not enter into an old religious system of self-righteousness. The purpose of viewing Christ in this manner is not that we may be lifted up or we may be excited, though we will be. It's that Christ would receive His exaltation. That glory and honor would be ascribed to Him as one who has done what no other can do. This must be the Christ that we serve and this must be the Christ that we preach and this must be the Christ who is the reason for the assembling at this particular body. And if it's for any other reason we err and we do so sinfully. And unfortunately, if that is the case, we are not doing so ignorantly, but willfully. So the appeal this morning is to see Christ as a forever priest, as a greatest, highest priest. And because of that, recognize that He is calling us to something other than what we know in this body. And that is not sinfulness, but righteousness. That is not a, a sinful lifestyle, but a holy lifestyle. To the pure, all things are pure. That is what Christ is calling us to. That is what God is describing as He describes Christ in the priesthood here. He is describing a call to holiness. Not one that Christ had to get, but that He had inherently as God and that men must receive and which they can only receive through Him. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you. We're thanking you for your word because we know that it is truth. We know that your word did become flesh, has dwelt among us, is now ascended, seated at your right hand. Lord, even now, the words that our Savior speaks 
on behalf of his people. Lord, that he is interceding for me as well as this congregation, those all around the world who belong to him. Lord, we thank you that you would appoint him to such a place and that he would be faithful. Lord, that he does not take the attitude of man thinking that he could be holy and yet remain in his current place. For if God had taken the person of Christ, uh, the attitude that he could serve you, O God, as Father, and yet not be obedient, as all of us have done, Lord, been disobedient, failed to assemble, failed to worship, failed to behave in a holy manner, we would have no salvation. But Christ has been obedient unto death. And because of it, God, we offer you our praise and our worship. Lord, we just ask that you would conform us to the image of your Son. Lord, that you would make us more like Jesus. Lord, that you would make us to deal gently with one another and compassionately. Lord, recognizing that we all have the same weakness that it is sin. Lord, that we could encourage and that the Word could serve as a rebuke and as reproof and as a master of sorts. Lord, that we would see in it the person of Jesus Christ and be conformed uh, to His standards, to His righteousness. Lord, that we would walk uprightly according to Your precepts. Lord, this day we ask that You would receive our worship and be well pleased by it. God, and that you would enable us to serve once again tomorrow if you should tarry. Or that we would impact greatly the kingdom. Or that we would reach lost souls with the message of Jesus Christ. You have called us to do, or that we would, would not think that we can simply come to ch- church, a building, a place, and be okay, Lord, but that you have called us to labor and from the laboring the death of the body Lord you will cause us to enter the rest of Christ let us be convicted by it Lord to labor for your kingdom in Jesus name we pray Amen